Okay, this morning we're going to read Matthew 22, and it just happens to be about power. And in this section here, even beginning at verse 15, this is, this is very interesting. Well, if you even look at Matthew 22 and verse 14, it says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Really, the, the right way to, to understand this is that God calls all, but few choose him. Isn't that something? God calls all. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish. God's call went out to every single, has, to every single human being. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the whole mass of humanity, that he gave, that he gave his only, uniquely, one-of-a-kind begotten son, that whosoever, that's all, would believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. So, but many are called, just like God calls those that are his in the specifics of his order. He calls us, he calls us to submit our wills in obedience so that we experience his power that only flows through grace when we're weak and when we're humble and submitted. Many are called, many are called, but few are chosen. Few choose God. Even, even today, even in terms of the unsaved and salvation, many are called in, in terms of all. But few choose God. And just like it's the sad thing is in Christianity, Christians, God calls many, many Christians in specific areas. And we've said before, the things that we struggle over and struggle with are not the things that we don't know. The things that we struggle about are the things that we do know and don't submit to. In other words, we don't choose God to live in obedience. And so the enemy, for any of us, will give every kind of excuse under the sun why we can't be obedient. So many are called, but few are chosen. He got done speaking to them, and and he was teaching. And, And teaching, as we can see in Matthew 22... In verse 1, all the way through, he was teaching about the kingdom of heaven, its rulership, all the way up to verse 14. And, you know, a kingdom speaks of God's government. To have a government, there has to be one who rules and who has king, who is king. And in that sense, as ruler, he has all power. Many different Greek words for the word power. We'll see some of them this morning. But... After he he said in 22, verse 14 of Matthew, look at verse 15. It says, Then went the Pharisees, the Pharisees, and took counsel how they might entangle him. How they might entangle, confuse, or trip up Jesus, God and humanity. Just think about that. Just think about the natural man. Or the flesh and the Christian, just thinking somehow you can bypass God or you can entangle him with some kind of an excuse. It says, then the Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle him, trip him up with his taught, with, with his teaching. Everything that he's taught. You know, you just picture, when you picture this, Jesus teaching the multitudes, you, you will see he taught multitudes. Everywhere he went, you know, he he would go after the individual, but he taught multitudes. 
But when you saw the multitudes, and you can picture, picture like Jesus is a dot, and there's multitudes encircling him. Many, getting as close to him as they could. Some really didn't care so much for him as they did for what he could do for them. That's a sad thing. That's, that's very sad. Uh, you know, because for any of us to live in an area of disobedience, we still may want God to do things for us, but we just don't want him. <laughs> that's very sad for any of us. And that can be the flesh that's in, in the Christian that we're not of. And so when we look at that, when we look at those things, we, we see that they're trying to entangle him, trying to trip up God uh, with that, you know, with what they thought their counsel was. Notice what it says there. They took counsel. Where did they get their counsel from if it wasn't from God? They took counsel how they might entangle him. It was the enemy. It was the enemy. In verse 16, it says, And they sent unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, Master, did they really think he was that? Nope. Was he mastering them with the authority and power of his love and grace? No. Nope. Saying, Master, we know you are true. Yeah, they knew that in declarative knowledge. But that didn't do anything because their wills weren't submitted. And so all of this, truthfully, is honestly, no matter how they said it or spoke the language, it was still, even in a soft tone, it was still mocking God. We know in Galatians 6, 7, God, the, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul said, be not deceived, stop being deceived. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. Don't think that uh, as a Christian you can live in known disobedience and think that God, that you can mock God. Can you imagine that? I can't, ooh, in my own life. I don't, I don't ever want that, knowingly, to live in disobedience and mock God, mock him. So he says in Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, stop being deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he reap. And so that's what they were saying. They said, Master, we know that you are true. But was he true for them? <laughs> was he the truth for them? No, their own counsel was. You are true. And teach the way of God in truth. Think about that. They're declaring these things. It's not their experience, though. Just like when Satan was tempting Eve and using the word of God, we see that in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, still using the word of God, but was he experiencing even what he was declaring to Eve? Satan, was he? No, neither are these guys. And you know, the, neither are, is the Christian who functions in the flesh. Oh, it's such a serious thing for us. Because, you know, fellowship communion, oneness with God and oneness with each other is very, very sensitive. It's very, very fragile. So they said, we know, we know that you are true. Did they know it for themselves? Nope. And teach the way of God in truth. Neither care you for any man, for anyone. In other words, you're not a respecter. Look at what it says. 
For you regard not the person of men. Did they? Oh, they did. They regarded each other's opinion of themselves under the atmosphere, but they disregarded God to do it. To live in their own counsel, to live in their own thoughts, to live in known disobedience. They were living in their own counsel and not God. They did not want God in that area like a Christian doesn't want God in that area of experience. Yeah, that's so crazy to me. Verse 17 says, Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? You know, do you owe Caesar something? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. See that? What all their communication and the counsel that they took, and no matter what tone it was, was it of God? No. Jesus perceived their wickedness. He knew that their communication was not equal to their thought. It was the enemy in the communication of evil using the word. Think of that, trying to trip up God and humanity, Jesus Christ. Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you tempt me? In other words, really, what was he saying? Why? Because could Jesus be tempted? Can God be tempted with evil in James 1.13? Absolutely not. So what he's saying is, why do you, why do you think that you can, you can test me? Why do you think you can test me? Christian, living in disobedience. No, why do you think you can test God? Why do we think that we can get away with certain things? Well, why do you test me, you hypocrites? You hypocrites, you pretenders, you actors on the stage of life. Hypocrite here, when you understand that word, back then, again, as we've shared before, they would have their acting, they would play parts, but they would have a mask on a stick and they would hold it and speak through that mask and you would see the character and that's what would appear. But God says, I know who you are. Who you want to appear as is not really who you are. I see who you are right through that mask. God sees right through disobedience. He just does. And all the excuses, that's why Jesus said in John 15 and verse 22, you know, I have come and listen to what it says. And we'll read that verse. Look at what it says here in 15. You know. It's like the Christian who thinks they can have selective fellowship. That's an interesting one. I can fellowship with certain others selectively. Others, I can't, or I just won't. Selective fellowship is, is let me tell you something. Let me tell you something what that is. That is evil. It's evil. Crystal clear. Why? Because we're all one, aren't we? This is John 15 and verse uh, 21, it says, But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. They know not him that sent me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, think of it. I, I think of areas. I think of areas in, in the lives of myself, in my life, in the lives of believers. They know the truth. They know it. And don't receive it. 
don't submit to it. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned, but now they have no cloak. Cloak here is excuse. They have no excuse for sin. That's John 15, 22. He that hates me hates my father also. What are the excuses and what is, what is behind the excuse that the enemy will give even believers for known disobedience? What is it? It's hatred. What a frightening thing. I think in my own life, that is frightening. It's hatred. Look, he that hates me hates my father also. Now, who is Jesus in John 1.1? Is he not the word? Is he not God's full thought? I don't, listen, I don't want the word. I don't want it. I am going to select who I'll be with and the measure of fellowship as far as I'll go. That's very interesting to me. God Almighty. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. He that hates me hates my father also. If, if, verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not sinned. But now, now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Why? Watch. But this comes to pass that the word might be fulfilled, that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Why do Christians hate each other? Why do Christians hate? Listen, if I don't function in love, if I don't, there's no in-between. I only function in hate. And to think that I can exclude others and have private fellowship. How do you have both if we're one? How do you have both love and hate? <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense. It's one or the other. Matthew 12, 30, Mark 9, 40. He that is not with me is what? Against me. And he that gathers not, listen to that, gathers not as a, as a local assembly. He that gathers not does what? Scatters abroad. If they scatter. I don't know, what would it be like if we approached each other in meekness and in love and said to others, what are you doing? What, can you tell me why you're doing this? What would that be like? How about a little transparency and honesty? No, let's just skip it and be together. Okay. I don't know. What, what does a Christian do with 1 John, the fourth chapter? Read it. Why does it say in 1 John 4, verse 1, try the spirits, whether they be of God? Try them. In other words, the spirit that you're living in and living under, is it God? Is it God that's causing the separation or the division? Is it God? Is it God? Try it. Try it. Because here's love. Here's love. And this is what they, they, the religious crowd, hated Jesus Christ. But they spoke such a beautiful language. <laughs> but Jesus saw their wickedness, it says. How about 1 John, the fourth chapter? I mean, we need to be very careful who we choose to fellowship with. And it doesn't mean that we don't love believers, but when they're living in sin, should we fellowship with them? You think so? 
gosh. Here's First John 4, 1. Beloved, you that are loved, believe not every spirit. Do you think that's just like the monarch spirit or how a believer, a Christian, lives their life? Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Test them, whether they are of God. Scary. Why? Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. If I, if I, if I refuse love, if I refuse forgiveness, if I ref- refuse oneness, then what am I operating in? Under another spirit. I become a false prophet. It's frightening. My communication. Hereby know you the, the, you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. What is that supposed to mean? Every spirit that confesses that confesses Jesus Christ. Okay, so what does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's talking about forgiveness and confession, even in, in our relationships with each other. You know, and honestly, it's beyond that. It is. Honestly, it's beyond that issue. The issue is not even involving specific people. It isn't. It's just people that are not going on with God. And it doesn't have a thing to do with anybody else. It just doesn't at this point. And that's the God's honest truth. It is. Hereby know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. In other words, did, why did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Did he deal with the sin question? Did he deal with every believer's sins? Did he or did he not? To not forgive is confessing, it's no. Not you, Jesus, me. Not you, not them, me. Dangerous. Dangerous. Honestly, my heart, honestly, it just, it just <laughs> because of where, where uh, I could be in the flesh or any other Christian. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Can God still love me? Yes. And if I don't function in his love, in that experience, am I of God? Am I? In my experience? No. And you want a fellowship? And there can be fellowship? I don't, I don't understand that. You can be fellowship. Think of the body principle in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Look at it, 28 verses there, read it. Watch how it flows. The principle is even in the human body. Does your body function? Can you function in health if you chop off your right arm and put it over there? How are you functioning? Are you functioning in a healthy manner? Think about it. Now think about it spiritually. It's, it's a sad thing. But we're built up with the truth, though. God is always warning us. Always. He's always teaching us something. And we don't have to live in sin, our own personal sin, to learn. But we can learn from our, our sin and learn from the sin of others without judging Without condemnation, without accusation, we can learn. We can learn. Christians just don't know how to live by the specifics of the Word of God. They just don't. Because the Word of God doesn't have, doesn't have first place in their life. It doesn't. 
No, everything else under the sun for any of us. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. I, I'm against Christ in this area. No. Uh-uh. I'm against. <laughs> oh, Lord. When the heck are we going to grow up? When, seriously, when are we going to honestly walk in transparency with Christ around every, every other believer? When's that going to happen? Are we going to be afraid to offend them? God, help us, Lord, all of us, and I do mean it too. This is that spirit of Antichrist which you have heard that it should come. Even now, already, it is in the world. Christian doesn't function under Christ in, in specific order. What do they function under? A Christian, the spirit of the world. Yeah, that's right. Spirit of the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. A Christian that doesn't live by the word, even though they know it and doesn't submit to it, will, have, will think that they can have fellowship with another believer. And now you all function in the world, any of us. Function in the world. Okay, verse 6, we are of God. He that, know, they, he that knows God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Don't want to hear him anymore. Don't want to hear her anymore. Nope. Hereby know that, that we, here, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I want you to listen to that word, error. Because we're going to go back to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And, and there's two things that always go, try to go against the Christian in terms of power. That thing is called error. We either function in power, which we don't have in ourselves, until we submit to the word that is the power, Christ himself, or we function in error. Hmm. <sighs> wow. Verse 7 of 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another. See, the whole issue is what? Love. You see that? Love. Right? You see it? Love. It's, be, it's, not even, it's beyond a personal thing. It is. It's far beyond a personal relationship. It's, it's individuals functioning under the spirit of the, of the uh, enemy. Simply what it is whether ignorantly or rebelliously. But it wouldn't be ignorant up to a certain point if it wasn't rebellious to begin with. That's crystal clear. Lord, help us. And I do mean that too. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God, experiences new life, not the old, and knows God. He that loves not, loves not God. Oh, you don't love me? Okay, fine. You don't love God. That's what it's saying. And you're going to fellowship? You're going to have fellowship? I mean, you're going to perform properly? You chop your hand off? Your body's going to perform? No way. Not going to happen. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And this was manifested... 
the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that you might live, might have life through him. Without love, experientially, do I experience the life that Christ is in me? No. What do I experience in the place? Error. The spirit of error. Error. Notice that? Error. Power this morning. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, when did he love us? When did God love us? When does his love stop short? In any relationship, when does that love stop short when there's no forgiveness? Do we have it in Ephesians 4.32? We can forgive. In Colossians 3.13, we can forgive because we've already been forgiven. It's just that we won't submit to the reality and fact of it. It's pride that intercepts it for any of us, any one of us. And so here we see it very clearly here in his love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and he sent his son to be the, the, re, the propitiation for us. No, not enough for me. Maybe for you, God, that was enough, but not for me. <laughs> That's pride. Huperophanos, I place myself above the body of Christ, above the word, above the local assembly, and I function on my own. And you know what I do? I pick my own spots. Isn't that adorable? I pick the spots where I should be and who I should be with. I don't know, believers. Maybe, in lo maybe love would be that we would challenge that and not just give precedence to it. Whew, God forbid. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, when did God love us? Okay, let's, let's check when he loved us. And could God love us if there was not forgiveness involved? Okay, when did he love us, right? We ought to love one another because God loved us. Isn't that correct? Okay, when did God love us and how did he love us? Okay, let's not make ourselves above God. You want to talk about judging one another. Oh, my God. I judge, no. Okay, this is Romans, the fifth chapter, and verse six. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, in the perfect time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Who did Christ die for? The ungodly. Who did he act in his love towards and forgiveness towards? Who? The ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will, will one die, yet peradventure for a good man. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Some would even dare to die, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinning, actively sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> mm, that stopped his love, didn't it? Verse 9, much more than being now cleared of all guilt, justified. Listen, cleared of all guilt and condemnation, not holding someone responsible. Oh, God. This little, oh, Lord Jesus. No wonder God says, yes, okay, this is where you've done what you did do and you're not to do another thing. You let me do what I do. And I say, yes, Father, amen. You do that in me and you lead me to do the same. 
much more than being justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation by his blood, we will be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, if and here, it's the second class uh, classification of the Greek word, if and we were enemies. When we were enemies with God Almighty, who's perfect, never mind two individuals, two Christians that are weak and frail, never mind that. When we were weak and God in perfect holy righteousness, perfect when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How? Where's the reconciliation? It's from God. God is love. And out of that love comes what? Forgiveness. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we will be saved by his life. So we're just going to wrap this up. Now watch this. We're going to finish this. And we're going to thank God that we can receive this by his grace. So 1 John 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. Now, when it says that in 1 John 4, 12, okay, it's been, it's been repeated at first in John 1, 18. It says, no created being. It doesn't say man like it says in certain translations in John 1.18. It says, no created being has ever seen God in all his fullness. The only begotten Son, Christ, he has spelled him out. I don't know what God is like. I don't know what love is until I receive in obedience everything that Christ is and has accomplished to his Father for me. I don't know it. I don't function. I will function in a lie if it's not the truth of God's love. And so no man has seen God at any time. Listen, if we love one another, God dwells in us. That's experience. No wonder it says in Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Let it. Let him dwell in you. Oikidomio, let him be at home in me and my experience. Literally is what it's saying in Colossians 3.16. But here in 1 John 4, verse 12, no man has seen God at any time. If we love, if we love one another, God dwells in us. He's at home in us. And his love is completed continually in us. Hereby know that we dwell in him. How do I know? And he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. What is that spirit? Well, it's love, isn't it? And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever will confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. What kind of a relationship with what I have as an individual with God, if there wasn't forgiveness. Tell me, would I experience the love that God does love me with? Would I? If there was not forgiveness. Oh, God. Very interesting. Very interesting. Oh, Lord, why don't we just, in grace, in spiritual maturity, just tell the truth to each other for crying out loud. 
Let so many things pass like they're all right. For any of us, too, obviously for any of us, right? Verse 15, whosoever will confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we've known that love. We have known and believe the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. This is experiential truth. Verse 17, herein herein is our love made complete, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Right? Should we judge one another? Is there any judgment for us? Did Christ take it all? I judge, I deem and judge someone's not worthy to be forgiven. Or I, I deem they're not worthy to be with anymore. Does that make sense? Okay. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Think about that. Was Jesus rejected when he was in the world? Was he? We read it. He was completely rejected. Read the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even in the, in the Gospel of John. Look at it. Constantly. They constantly said in John 18, 40, not this man. They constantly said, furthermore, in John 19, 15, crucify him, murder him, get rid of him. You can't murder, you you wouldn't dare murder each other, but you'll eliminate them by not being with them. Talk about a selfish, selfish, wimpy little world. Oh, God. For any of us to function in the flesh, right? There is no fear in love. Oh, I'm afraid. I can't. No. God. Well, God, in your marriage, the next time your husband or wife hurts you and, and, there's, and there's forgiveness and you do well, then you fear that you can't love them anymore and continue in the relationship? What kind of a relationship is that? In the most intimate one. It doesn't even make any sense. Well, there is no fear in love. You know why? Because you know where fear has its roots? In pride. And pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall in Proverbs 16, 18. These are issues that go way beyond personal failure in in an exchange in a relationship. It goes way beyond. It's the individual in God trying to work out in them what needs to go out so that he can function as their Lord and Master. There's no question about it. There is no fear in love because love that's completed everything about that individual has already cast out all that fear, but they're living in it as a result of a lie through pride because fear has what? Torture. He that fears is not made, is not experiencing what love has completed about them. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, listen to this, and hates his brother. (laughs) Hates his brother. What? Whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? Does that make any sense? Okay, we're going to close this up here. Where am I? We're going to close this up in Matthew 22. We're going back to Matthew 22 when they're trying to trip Jesus up. Isn't that interesting? You think the enemy will still try to to trip up a believer who's taught? Yes. You think he's going to stop? Nope. 
You know, we either function in love through submission of our will to known, the known word of God and known obedience, or we function in deception. And then when we function in deception, we will always accuse. We won't accuse ourselves and our own failures. <laughs> we'll accuse others. That's Revelations 12, 9 and 10. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Who's the accuser of the brethren? Revelations 12, 10. Who accuses the brethren? Satan does. Is it the believer? Well, he, he's just a vessel. Or she's just a vessel. That's all they are. Very sad. Very sad. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar? We're back now in Matthew 22, verse 17. But Jesus perceived their wickedness. He, knew, he saw right through their little play acting. Yes, I can fellowship with you. We can have, but there's others I can't. But yeah, play acting, little mask on, pretending that everything's okay inside when it's not. Play acting. And, and, and said, why do you test me, you hypocrite? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny, half of what it would be about, what I, about the value of our half penny is today. And he said unto them, whose is the image and inscription, the superscription, whose image is it? They said unto him, Caesar's. Then he said unto them, well, then render unto Caesar what Caesar's. If you're going to live by that image, you're going to live by a false image, then you're going to render unto that. And if that image that's false is not the right spirit in 1 John 4, 1, you're going to render to that spirit. You think it's just about money here. It's not. He's using this to teach spiritual realities. Okay? And they said unto, then he said unto them, well, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. When they heard this, these words, they marveled, left him, and went their way. Yeah, of course. The same day, now comes the Sadducees, <laughs> which say that there is no resurrection. Asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother will marry, and so forth. You can read the rest, what it says. And let's get to verse 29 so we can wrap this up. 29, Jesus answered, they're trying to trip him up. Saying, like seven brothers had the same wife, whose wife is she in the resurrection? Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err. You do err. You are wrong. You are functioning under a false image based upon a lie. You err. It's planao from plane, to wander, to go astray, to be deceived, to be deceived by another spirit that's not the spirit of truth. You do err. You are wrong. Not knowing the scriptures. Did God, through the prophet Hosea, give Israel, even when they were in a backslidden state, did he give them the scriptures? Yes. But he said in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed through a, because of a lack of knowledge. Is it that they didn't have the knowledge? No, it's that they had it and refused it. And he said, because you refuse me, I will refuse you from reigning as king. You won't have me as your master over your life. 
another spirit will come in and master you. Christians, of course, can't be possessed, but can they be obsessed in Psalm 62 and verse 10? Yes, they can be so oppressed. And when the enemy oppresses a Christian whose will's not submitted and functioning in the love and rest and peace that Christ is, the only thing they can function in and try and meet is the lust of the flesh. Then they go back to things that God took out of their life Previously, they go right back like just any of us would in a, if we function in the flesh. And by the way, the flesh is in us in Romans 8, 9, but we're not of it. But we can function in it, even though we're not of it. Because God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. You see it. You, you, you sow unto the flesh, you reap the flesh. You sow unto the spirit in submission to the word, you reap the spiritual life. And, and again, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. So they went their way. The Sadducees, they're doing this whole thing. He said, you err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. We either function in power Power here is dunamis from dunamai, and it means this miraculous power, this beautiful ability, this abundance, the meaning. We have meaning and strength and this wonderful work going on in our experience, constantly submitted to him and resting in his love. Listen, when I don't function in love, when I say I can love God and hate another brother or sister, do I have rest? Do I? Don't have it. I don't have that rest. And so I can see here as we wrap this up here in Isaiah 57, and we'll see what Isaiah 57 says here. Isaiah 57, verse 19 says, I create the fruit of the lips. Notice that? Is it the fruit of the spirit, the spiritual life the fruit that, that Christ is in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 that I speak? Is that what comes out of my li lips? Because if it's, the, if, if it's the fruit that God has created through Christ and the believer, what will they have? Peace, peace. To him that is far off and to him that is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked, and wicked here is unbeliever. Can a believer in Christ in their position function like an unbeliever? Absolutely. But the wicked are like the troubled sea. They make their trouble more than God's provision. They make what they perceive, the enemies convince them, to be their wound, to say it's incurable when it's already cured in Jeremiah 30, verse 12. They make their wounds and what someone does to them greater than the work that Christ has finished about that wound. Something wrong there. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, says my God, to the wicked, to the unbeliever, to the believer, to the Christian who lives in the flesh. There's no peace. So you have what? You either have power through submission. Isn't that what Paul said? Joel 3.10, he quoted in 2 Corinthians 12.9, let the weak say, I am strong, powerful. We have this incredible power. And you know, like we're having the word this morning, like we're having it this morning, and I'd be done with a bunch of the private nonsense fellowship too, by the way. I'd be done with that in about an instant second. <sighs> 
not biblical. It's not biblical because all you do is reinforce the disobedience. That's all you do. This is Luke 4, and we can see Luke 4, and you can read the whole chapter how Jesus was teaching things in the scriptures. But by the time you see in verse Luke 4, verse 32, it said, they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with what? Power. That's exousia. That's exousia. There was this ability, there was this privilege, there was this force. There was this power and energy that gave a capacity to do some incredible things, to be so complete in his love. That's exousia, his words. And that's why in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, through him, through the apostle Paul said, I thank God that when you heard the word, you didn't receive it as the word of, of men. This isn't the word of Ed. It's not the word of Mike. It's not the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which works effectually in you that what? Believe. In other words, that you that submit to the truth of it. You don't make anyone else the issue. Isn't that interesting? Listen, we, we have power. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of what? Fear. Operating in fear and pride constantly has not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? Power. Dunamis, exousia, power. And love. And a sound mind. A well-disciplined mind. How to think apart from the spirit of the world. We don't live like the world. We don't act like it. And when we fail, and we're all going to do that, then we don't make excuses for that failure. And if, I fa if we fail each other, what do we do? We go to God, go to each other. That keeps out all that error. All of that error. And keeps love flowing in the beauty of its perfection. It just keeps it flowing. So Father, we thank you that you have given us, you not only have given us Christ, the fulfillment of your love, your very love for us, but you keep giving him to us in forgiveness so that we can continue to experience that love and we can experience it and pass it on to others and forgiving them. Because to not forgive in Ephesians 4 verse 32 means there's a corrupt communication in my thinking. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. No evil thinking. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is the good it's good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace into the hearers. And when Satan can get a believer to think that certain issues between each other are bad and, and settled off, he's done that just to keep them and make them function in greater areas of wrong and independence and sin. God forbid that we should do that. We just need to pray for each other, love each other and not function as judges against each other, but love that's for us. In Romans 8, 31, God for us, who can be against us. Thank you for your so great love. And thank you that even when others, don't, Christians, don't receive us, we can still function in love, in the obedience of your love, that you love them with, even though they can't experience it. But yet, be men and women of God, and in the transparency of love, in, the, in, in that love, lovingly, without judgment or accusation, challenge one another in that love. 
because maybe the best thing that we could do when someone's living in ignorance or rebellion is God leads to lovingly give them the opportunity to be restored in Galatians 6, 1-4. So we thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.